Scripture and not uh, miss what is happening here this morning. That we, as the people of God, as family, we come in this room together and we celebrate life. We see parents and babies and they're lined up all across the front of this stage and we see God's goodness and we see his presence and we see his, um, his benevolent, his good nature toward us and the way that life continues to carry on. And he gives to those of us that are parents the good gift of, of raising and caring and watching over our children. And in the same breath, we turn and we look to a member of our family who's experienced some, tra- some tragedy, who's experienced difficulty. And we also recognize this morning that while there are those of us that are celebrating the, the birth of a child, there are those of us that are celebrating loss. Those are those of us that are celebrating difficulty and, and, and just different issues in the context of our family. But when we kind of pair these two things against each other, fresh life and then tragedy of, of a family member, in the middle of that, we are rehearsing the gospel. We're speaking of the goodness of God. We're singing this song, for he is good, for he is good. Yes, he is good. And that's what happens when family gets together on a Sunday morning. That's what happens when we all walk in this space and we sit in these pews and we stand and we sing these songs. We're all coming, not devoid of what was happening before we stepped foot on 2017 Columbiana Road. We're bringing all of that to the table. And when we bring that to the table, it makes the goodness of what we're singing about God, it makes it even brighter. For he is good, for he is good. Yes, he is good. Amen? Amen. So this morning, we are going to keep rocking and rolling in our uh, series in, um, in Matthew chapter five, uh, chapters 5 through 7. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. And um, this morning, there's one phrase that you're going to hear kind of seasoned throughout our time together this morning. So I'm going to drop it on the front end, and you're going to hear it come up over and over again. It's this truth, that what we say, what we say and what we do, it communicates who we are. What we say and what we do, it communicates who we are. And who we are determines, it determines what we say and what we do. So we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is, uh, his sermon that he's preaching here, he's telling us about what life looks like in the context of his kingdom. He's telling us what his expectations are, what his priorities are, what things look like underneath his perfect reign and his perfect rule, his ultimate authority is absolute power, what things look like under his control. So up to this point, if you remember early on in Matthew chapter five, Danny walked us through the Beatitudes and he talked about the character of the kingdom, that Jesus speaks blessing over those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourned, those who are meek, those who are desperate for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. Jesus speaks blessing over, over those people, over that kind of character. And then he tells us that people with this kind of character, people that are citizens of his kingdom, that wear this character, that we are to season and preserve and illuminate the world with the goodness of God. That that is part of what we do as citizens of God's kingdom. That we have this task as people that are following Jesus to take this good news of this good nature of God to those that are are living next door to us, that are in the office across from us, that sit in the school desk next to us, that we we get to season, we get to preserve, we get to illuminate everyone we come in contact with the good news of Jesus. That as we live under the lordship, live under the reign and the rule of Jesus, 
as we're his citizens, that that's what we get to do. We get to carry his message. We get to be his ambassadors. We get to represent him before we represent ourselves. Now, this message, when we think about this, we think about being a citizen, we think about our charge, it sounds very heavy that God, who is perfect and right and just and has absolute power and has absolute authority, that he would entrust us with this job to season, preserve, illuminate, to carry the good news and the good favor of God to everyone we come in contact with. It sounds too big. It sounds too heavy. It sounds too much. And the main reason that I think that it sounds too big, too heavy, too much is because I know myself too well. I know that I am the opposite of these things, that I am not merciful, that I am not mournful, that I am self-seeking and self-pursuing. And you may even be able to resonate with some of these things, that God would entrust to us this, this mission, this job, that we would carry the good news of Jesus to everyone we come in, in contact with, but we start off with this barrier that we can't work hard enough, we can't go far enough, we can't do enough in order to accurately portray the goodness of Jesus, the perfection of God to those that we come in contact with. It's just too much. It's too much. It's so much that we cannot do it, that we have to have someone stand in our place. We have to have someone who, has, who is able to, to carry and, and convey in a perfect way God's love for humanity. That people would look at us and they would see the character of God. The only way that they would be able to see the character of God is, that, is if there's someone that's literally standing in front of us, that, that people would see that someone who is perfect and right and is, and is merciful and does mourn over wrong and is a peacemaker. Somebody would stand in front of us and that you would see him before you see me because I know my flawed nature. This task is too much. I need someone to come before me to walk in front of me. And the good news for us is this morning that while this task is so big, the mission has been accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ. That there is someone, there is someone who who is perfect and right and his character is true and everything that Jesus communicates about the character of his kingdom, it's seen in its fullness in Jesus. That he walks before us. We need someone good enough to stand in our place and that person is Jesus. Now, how do we know this? How do we know that he is perfect and that he, he, he is all of these things? And how do we know that he does stand in front of us, that he stands before us? And friends, this is the good news of the gospel. And I don't want us to get lost in this phrasing, good news or gospel, because it is the best news that we can hear. That God, while knowing our separation from him, knowing our character, all these things that we know too well about ourselves, knowing all of these things, he sends his son, Jesus. God puts on flesh, comes to earth, all God, all man, and that he comes and he takes on, takes on all of these things that I know make me not good enough for the job. He takes all these things on himself, all these things that would separate me from the perfection of God, the creator, the sustainer, the all-powerful, the all-present, God, he takes all those things upon himself, making himself as though he were sin, dying on the cross, paying the penalty, the price, the cost for all those things have earned me. And then he rises from the grave, extending to me his righteousness. In essence, what he does is he stands before us with a perfect record That when I have placed my trust and my hope and my faith in Jesus Christ, that he came for me, that he died for me, that he rose the grave, rose from the grave for me, that I could have a right relationship with God, that he stands in my 
place, while the job is too big, we have one who comes and stands before us, and his name is Jesus. So before we focus on what we're going to look at today in terms of our content for this morning, we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to be talking about truth and retaliation and the way that we interact with those people who don't like us. We have to really make sure that we understand who we are before we talk about what we do, because what we say and what we do, it communicates who we are. And who we are determines what we say and what we do. In some ways, our words and our actions are just a billboard for who we are. It's going to show who we are on the inside to the deepest core part of who we are. Think about, um, think about billboards in general, right? Like, um, about, I don't know, it was the past year, there was this billboard, this electronic billboard that was put up at the bottom of Columbiana and Lakeshore, and it was huge and it was bright and people were nervous about what it would say and it was an obstruction of you and all this kind of stuff. It was right in your line of path. Like, there's no way that you could not see it. And whoever owned that or bought that ad space, they could put up there whatever they wanted and anybody driving by is going to see, is going to be, going to be inundated with whatever those images are. Think about even um, driving down I-65 and you see these billboards on the side of the road and these billboards, they communicate something. You see some of these billboards for dentists and you're like, that is funny, but I'm never going there. You see some of these billboards for, um, for just even kind of like attractions and places to stop. It communicates something about that organization or it communicates something about that, that place. And for us, we have a billboard. We have a representation of who we are in our words and in our actions. So it's so important that we know who we are before we talk about what we do. It's so important. And when we look at today at answering this question, who are you? Who are we? We have to make sure that we don't fall short in the way that we answer it. If you ask me this morning, who am I? I could answer it in context of relationship. I could say that I am the husband of, of Holly. I could say that I am the father of Abby, Noah, Jude, and Micah. Um, I could say that I am the son of Scott and Debbie. I could answer them in relationship. Or I could answer them in terms of, of job title or hobby. I am, I'm a pastor. I'm a runner. I'm a learner. Or I could answer these in the context of, of relationship or, or of emotion or feeling. And I could be happy or I'm sad. I feel rejected. I feel popular. There's all these things that we can tie who we are to that fall short of answering the deepest question of who am I? Because the thing is, all those answers, they can change. They're not fixed. Relationships can change. Job title, position, hobbies, they can change. Feeling, emotion, they can change. So we have to dive deeper than that. When we answer the question, who am I? We have one of two answers in the way that scripture teaches us. We are either in Christ, him in front of us, or we are not. We're either gonna act out of our identity, who we are in Jesus, the one that has come and stood in our place, or we're gonna not act, we're gonna act of our own accord. We're gonna act separated from Christ. This is the most important question that we can ask ourselves today. Before we assess our truth, before we assess our relationships, the most important question that we can answer is who am I? Am I in Christ or am I to myself? Am I in Christ or am I not in Christ? We have to answer this question. If we don't answer this question, we're falling short. And we're, we're, we're actually, there's this threat that we come close to these issues of truth and relationship 
And we dive too deep to what I should do and don't answer the question of who I am. So my actions, while they may look right, they may be empty of purpose. They may be empty of, of identity. So when we think about answering this question, who am I? We think about relationship or emotion. We have to be careful that we're not looking horizontally for a question to be answered. We're not looking to our right or to our left or inside of us for a question that can be answered horizontally, but we're only looking vertically. We're only looking up to God, to the only one who can truly give us full identity in Christ. We have to dive to the deepest point of who we are. We are not here just to perform, to do acts we're here to live out the identity that we have as people that are following, following Jesus. So when we approach this text, we ask the question, who am I? Where do I find my identity? What am I rooted in? And then there's also this, this thing that I want to be <clears throat> very cognizant of this morning as we move forward. When Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he is talking to a group of people. They're sitting on a hillside. The scenery was evidently unbelievable, and he's talking to them. And he's talking about all these practical aspects of living. But something that we can't skim past in terms of who Jesus was talking to is he was talking to people that knew all the right answers. They grew up hearing it. Like even the way that Jesus speaks to them and even the way that, that Danny walked us through the, the portion of Sermon on the Mount the past two weeks on anger and lust and marriage and divorce, he uses vernacular, he uses terminology that they were familiar with. And that context for them, people that grew up hearing the scriptures taught or grew up in a culture where even the norms of scripture were what were upheld, even if it wasn't rooted in following Yahweh God. There's some similarity between their context and our context. We are in the South. We are in the bulk buckle of the Bible Belt. And whether we, um, whether we have grown up in church or not, thinking about some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning, or whether we have grown up just living in a place where the ideas of church or the ideas of following Jesus are things that have become really familiar to us. What Jesus is talking about is not just knowing the right thing to do. He's talking about who we are. And so as we look at these, these three topics this morning, I want to do it with full realization that, that you know the right thing. I know the right thing. You know what you should do. In, truth, in terms of truth and lying, we know that we need to be a people who tell the truth. We, we know this. No one likes to be lied to. No one likes to be misrepresented. When it, when it comes to people that are, are, are doing wrong against us, we know that we should treat others in a way that we want to be treated. That's actually biblical, but it's become just common cultural norm. And so as we approach these texts this morning, let's remember who it is that we are rooted in, who is standing before us, who's standing in front of us, who we are found in, either in Christ or not in Christ. And that those things, that, that the way that we live and act, the things that we say and do, that we're communicating to the world, literally the message, that the mission that God has put in front of us, that we are communicating to the world God's goodness and his love and his character. If we swing too far to one side to just do good things, we're looking at moralism. If we swing too far to the other side to say that what I do doesn't matter, we're looking at cheap grace. And what we live under is a costly grace. The life that we have been given through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we know the answers. We know what we should say. We know what we should do. But this morning, let's look at the heart of what God is saying to us through this text. 
God uses what we're going to talk about this morning, the idea of truthfulness and our interactions with those that are even difficult. He uses them as a sort of microscope to look down into the deepest depths of our heart to see who we really are. He helps us to look past our actions and to actually do the difficult task of dissecting our hearts, peeling back hard and calloused layers that we've self-conditioned. Oftentimes, I think it's easy for us to just, um, to just react without thinking than it is actually to identify and then react or respond. It's like me with um, strawberry cake or chocolate chip cookies. I don't think when that stuff's in front of me. It's in, yes, amen. When I, see a, when I see strawberry cake, when I see chocolate chip cookies, I react, I respond, I move, I shove it all in my mouth and I enjoy every single second of it. And oftentimes that's the way that we approach life and we approach these topics. We approach the idea of responding to others, whether it be in word or in action, just by reaction, by gut instinct. See the cake, eat it. See the cookies, clean the plate. You know what I'm saying? When in reality, what we're saying this morning is that our identity, who we are found in, actually causes us to want to think before we act, to think before we move, that our identity, who we are in, would help us to filter all of life, our words and our actions, to make sure that we're accurately being this billboard that portrays to the world the good character and the good nature of God. The question that we want to ask when we look at these texts is not how far can I go, and still experience the goodness of God. When we look at truthfulness, when we look at our interactions with others, we don't want to say, how close can I get to the line? How far is too far? How close to a lie can I get? How close to like even being kind or loving my neighbor can I get um, uh, without actually crossing the line into disobedience? We're talking not about just what are my rights, what should I get? But we're talking about how do we accurately portray the goodness of God? How do we portray this to those who are around us? We want to be careful not to take God's grace to us the way that he instructs us to live and count it to ourselves as righteousness because we're able to check a box, but we actually are living under the righteousness of Christ. So all this being said, let's look at Matthew chapter five. And this morning we're going to start in, um, we're going to start in verse 33 and we're going to read a really big chunk Um, we're going to read all three sections together and then we're going to come back and look at each one individually. Um, Uh, in its context. So this is Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 33. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you you cannot make one hair white or black. Let you, let you say simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil itself. Verse 38, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. For if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Verse 43, You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain to the just and the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Verse 48 again. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You heard this kind of repetition going on in these three passages. You heard kind of three things that are happening here. And this is a paradigm that Jesus uses often in the Sermon on the Mount. He used it the last couple of weeks as well. He first starts off by saying what they have been saying to each other. Okay, so when he says, you've heard it said, he is saying what they've been talking about, whether it's in, in, the, in the temple or whether it's just on the streets, this is a norm that you have heard before. And then he goes on to say God's intent for them. And sometimes in these three sections, these are one and the same. The things they've been hearing might actually be the truth of God for them, but they've been holding on to it as righteousness they can attain through their good works instead of God's goodness to them and his grace toward them. And then the last thing he does is he dives deeper to the heart of the issue. Okay, so first let's look at truthfulness. This is uh, Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Um, and we, we see what Jesus says here. This is, um, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Okay, so this is what they're talking about. This is what he, they have heard said. This is Matthew five thirty three. What the law, what the original text is, is that you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of God. I am the Lord. This is Leviticus 19, 12. And there are a couple other spots in the Old Testament where, um, where the law, where God's um, instruction for the Israelites to live in relationship with, them, with each other and live in relationship with God, where he talks about this idea of truthfulness. But what Jesus says What he says is do not take an oath at all. This is verse 34. And in verse 37, he says, let what what you say simply be yes or no. Anything other than that comes from evil. Um, My dad uh, always says, uh, mean what you say and say what you mean. And it's the same context here. Be a person who is known for truthfulness. Okay, so two questions that we have to ask as we look at this text, because all three of these have been misplaced a little bit. What is this text not saying? Okay. Um, what it is not saying is it's not talking about oaths that are taken in court. Okay. Um, and, and actually, even if you look at the context of scripture itself, um, there are times where um, God encourages oaths, where we even see Paul in the New Testament, he will actually take an oath by the good name of God to represent who he is, but he's doing it in all truthfulness. What this text is talking about is the seriousness of truth itself. Because the context that he was operating in, they were constantly asking the question, how close can I get to the line? So there were ways in which um, Jewish people, they could be standing um, not facing, um, they could be standing next to the altar. We'll use this example. They could be standing next to the altar and they could tell something that was not true. They could, they could lie, but it not be, they not count it against themselves as a sin because they were obeying the letter of the law. But if they had their hand on the sacrifice of the altar and they lied, then that, that was a sin. Their body could be facing toward Jerusalem and it would be a sin, or it could be facing away from Jerusalem and it would not be a sin. They were looking at ways that how can truthfulness, how can I get away with telling a lie and not be held accountable for it? How can I, how close can I get without being in violation? What Jesus is saying here is that we need to be a people of truth, that we don't need oaths at all, that this should be a hallmark of who we are as people that are following Christ, as citizens of the kingdom of God, that we should be characterized by truth. I think about, um, I think about our kids, or I think about myself as a kid. We'll go here since 
you four little people are awesome. Um, I think about myself as a kid. And I remember saying, I would, I, would, I would say something to my brother, say something to my sister. And I'd say, I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise. Like I, what I was saying was not good enough. So I had to like give an extra amount of something to make whatever I was saying believable. I had to push it a little bit further. Now, the reason that that, ha- that, that happened is because often I would not tell the truth. I would do something to reflect what I wanted the truth to be and not what truth was in and of itself. And so I had to back it up with something. Really, what I'm saying this time is true. Really what I'm saying this time, I'm being honest. And what Jesus is saying here is let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Be a person as a citizen of the kingdom of God that is reflecting the true nature of God himself. Be a people that are characterized by truth. So I think we have to ask, why do we lie? So if this is something that we're to be characterized is by being a people of truth, people that are pursuing truth, then why do we turn the opposite direction? Why is this actually, in some instances, the exact opposite gut reaction that we have when we're confronted with an opportunity to either tell the truth or tell a lie? I think often we're covering up, we're defending, we want to inflate others' views of ourselves. We wanna work things in our favor. We We are operating out of our insecurity. We're operating out of fear. And we think that if we turn things the direction that we want them to be turned, that it will work more to our advantage than the truth itself actually would. I think about myself um, when I was in high school. I uh, became a Christian when I was 16 years old. Um, it was uh, February of that year. And, and there were quite a few uh, things that I did before I became a Christian that I'm not necessarily proud of. And they were things that I did, but I was completely dishonest about. I was trying to cover up. I was trying to be one thing in one place and one thing in another because it played to my advantage in one space when I acted one way and it played to my advantage in another space when I acted another way. And I would cover it up. And my dumbness was evident, I think, to people on both sides of the camp, but I thought that if I could live the life I wanted to in each place, that I was going to be able to have my cake, because we all know I like cake this morning. We're going to be able to have my cake and eat it too. What the text is saying to us this morning, even the way that it is written, um, whenever Jesus is walking us through, he says, don't swear by heaven, don't swear by earth, don't swear by city, don't swear by self, because everything, everything is God's. Everything is is God. So there's no need to pull something in to a lie that we would tell um, that would justify ourselves when all things are his. We must be a people characterized by truth and honesty. This obviously makes sense when Christians, people that are following Jesus, are people that are saying Jesus is the singular way to relationship with God. He is the truth. So for people following the truth, what should we be characterized by? truth. We don't need to lie to get what we want or to look how we want. We don't need to get lost in ourselves to the point that we don't care about the person that we are offending in our lie or the God that we are offending in our lie, that the benefit of our lie would outweigh the consequences of our actions. We need to not focus so much on ourselves that we forget all that we are disregarding in our lie. What Jesus is saying here is that when we are rooted in him, when we are found in Christ, that we will be characterized by by the truth that we speak from our lips. That as we are this billboard, as our actions are communicating who we are and our words are communicating who we are, that we will convey the singular truth of Jesus. Let's look at Matthew chapter five, verse 38. 
and 42. So we see this three section uh, uh, positioning again. The first thing he says is, you've said that it was heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The original text, it's from Leviticus chapter 24, verses 19 and 20. And it says, if anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, let it, let it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury has been given a person shall be given to him. Okay. And then what Jesus says is, do not resist evil. Now, the way that this law was worked out is it was meant for restraint, not for permission. So what they were hearing, what they were saying amongst themselves is if you do something wrong to me, I can do something wrong to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. When all actuality, this law was given to the judges to execute over the people, not to be managed among one another. Um, And it was actually meant for restraint. So it wouldn't be like Michael punches me in the face and I like take out his kneecap or Michael... I, you're always used to sermon illustrations. It's because you're like right here, somebody beside you. It wouldn't, it wouldn't matter. If, if you come after me, I'm not gonna come after your whole family. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it was meant for restraint. It wasn't meant for permission, but the law itself was used for permission. I want to get even. And this is as far as I can go to get even with those around me. And so he then gives some, some instances. He gives some circumstances. You get slapped on the cheek, give him your other cheek as well. Someone sues for your tunic, which is like, uh, like your sport coat. Go ahead and throw in your overcoat um, as well with that. If somebody who has the ability, the right, if a soldier comes, and this was actually common at the time, and he comes and he asks you to carry his pack, his equipment for one mile, go ahead and give him two. Give to the beggar and to the borrower. He says all these things in terms of how we would respond to those who are around us. Someone does ill to me, I automatically, my gut response is to do ill toward them as well. But this should not be the character of the kingdom of people who are found in Christ. So what this section is not about, it's not about pacifism. What this section is about is personal selflessness. We have to look not just at the big picture, but we have to look individually. How do we respond to those who are around us, especially those who are unkind to us? If you slap me on the cheek and I give you my other cheek, it's going to make you step back and take cause because it's the exact opposite reaction of what you would expect. If someone were going to come after me and sue me and they were wanting what I had and it was, it was unright, it, it was unjust, it was incorrect, and I go ahead and throw in more, it's the exact opposite. Forcing someone to go one mile, but going ahead and going two, it's the exact opposite. We see the nature of God here as less about keeping score and more about giving Giving is the nature of the gospel. So why do we retaliate? We want to get even. We want justice. We feel vengeful. We feel disrespected and hurt. We want to be right. We think they started it, so I'll go back at them. We think that we'll feel better. We self-medicate our hurt. We self-medicate our own disappointment. Answering this question, how do you respond when someone wrongs you? It answers and tells us some about who we are. We see that even when we shift the blame, when we look at ourselves and we say that our response to someone was in the wrong, but only because we were done wrong first, it's abdicating responsibility for our own actions. And it's saying that someone else is giving me permission to live in sin, to to cause an offense toward someone else and to cause an offense toward God. We must take responsibility for our own actions. We must love others as we have been loved because whenever Jesus tells us this, whenever he says those who are against you before them, this is exactly what he has done for us. 
That is, we've lived in opposition toward him as we have sinned against him in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, that even in the middle of us, what does he do? He comes and he gives. He gives more. He gives himself. The law was meant to keep people from not going so far. And it was meant to to not help for them not to execute justice in their own hands, but know that God is the one who is in control of our, our, our justice, our rights. The things that we regard as our own, the rights that we think that we've earned, we turn all of those things over to Jesus when we choose to follow him. When we choose to follow Christ and we submit, we give our lives to him, we give all of who we are to him. So as we're this billboard, as we're communicating who we are, We want to be a people that are communicating the love and the forgiveness and the grace and the goodness of God, even when it's not easy. It's the opposite of what we would want to do on our own. The last section that we want to look at is Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 47. What what you have said, uh, this is the way the text reads, you have said it, heard that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Actually, doesn't say that anywhere in the text. Leviticus 19, verses 17 through 18. This is the original text. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, you've said it, heard you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because God's grace and his goodness is the same in common ways to everybody. The sun rises and the sun sets on everybody. The rain falls on everybody. They had the teaching wrong. They adjusted it to fit what they wanted it to be to try and justify their actions. They said, I only have to love my neighbor, so let me figure out how I can define my neighbor in a way that fits me. When what Jesus says is love your neighbor and anyone that you can extend good to is your neighbor. That's the whole setting for the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. Who is my neighbor? Your neighbor is anyone that you can come in contact with that you can extend good to. And if we're a people following Jesus, we can extend good to anyone, to anyone. So why do I want to hate my enemy? Why do I want to, why do I want to have difficulty getting along with people that dislike me? Because I love myself and I want to be liked. I feel wronged. And if I've been wronged, I feel like I can be wrong toward them in return. When this is the exact opposite of the gospel, what Jesus says, again, is not extend harm, don't extend wrong. What does he say? He says, give, give good, love your enemy, love those people who dislike you, pray for those who persecute you, who do harm against you. And as we're doing this, we're literally extending the love of God. We're asking for God's good favor and good blessing upon people that even dislike us, that are difficult for us to get along with when we ourselves are a people that are difficult to get along with. And God has done this. He's extended his love and his blessing to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus goes so far to say in John chapter 13, that love should be the defining characteristic of people that are following Jesus. That we should be known by our love. That if the billboard is gonna be up and it's gonna tell the picture of this church, that it should be the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ. 
It should be communicated through our words. It should be lived out through our actions. Because if it's who we are, it's going to be seen in what we say and going to be seen in what we do. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we go through these things, we talk about truth, we talk about retaliation, we talk about enemies and all these responses that Jesus puts in front of us. And we actually even think ourselves, these, this is the exact opposite of what I would do on my own. Like I would go for the strawberry cake, I would go for the cookies. I wouldn't think, I would just act, I would respond. I'm gonna set myself up in a way that I look good. I'm gonna set myself up in a way that I actually gain benefit from whatever this is, regardless of whether it's truth or not. When I'm harmed, I wanna harm in return. When people are difficult toward me, I want to be difficult toward them. And then he ends with this, be perfect for your father in heaven is perfect. How can we do this? How is it possible? We have to have someone come and stand in our place. We have to have someone come and stand before us so that when you look at me, you see him, you see Jesus. When we put our faith, when we put our trust, when we believe this good news that Jesus has come, that we might be forgiven. We are justified. We are made right with God. And the rest of our lives is this process of of being sanctified, of becoming more and more like Christ, that the one that we're following who's standing in front of us, we're mimicking his every single move. He's paid his life for us. We give our lives to follow him. Romans chapter eight talks about this struggle between flesh and spirit. The struggle between my gut reaction, my gut response of doing what I wanna do as opposed to what God's perfect standard for us is in Jesus Christ. And what Paul says in Romans eight, it's this battle between flesh, me, and between spirit, God's spirit who lives inside me when I choose to follow Christ. This battle, this back and forth, my gut reaction versus God's intent for me as a person who is following Christ. And what Paul tells us is it's this constant daily dependence on the spirit of God, this constant reliance upon him that we can't do it on our own, but we are trusting in him to walk before us, to move in front of us, that we would walk by the spirit. So as we look at this section, there are a couple questions that I want us to kind of hone in on and answer as we tie up our time this morning. One, the most important that I tossed out at the very beginning is how do you answer that question, who am I? If you've got two options, option one is in Christ, he's in front of you, you're walking behind him. You've placed your hope, you've placed your trust, your faith. You believe the good news for you that Jesus has died on your behalf and you gain his righteousness. Option one, option two is separation from God because we're, we're not in Christ. Those are the only eternal options that we have, one or the other. Who are you? Who am I? What defines us? If it's something or someone other than Jesus, it is misplaced trust, nothing else. The second question, do we take this task of following Jesus seriously? That he is walking before us and we are following after him. That what we say and what we do, it actually matters because it is communicating something about us and it's communicating something about this Jesus that we are claiming to follow. The words we say matters. The truthfulness of our speech, it matters. The way that we interact with people we like and dislike, it it matters 
We're communicating something about God as people that say we're following him if we're in Christ. Do we take the task of following Jesus seriously? And then specifically, the third thing, are we a people characterized by truth and selflessness? Are we a people characterized by truth and selflessness? Our words and our actions, are we characterized by truth and selflessness? The way that Jesus himself is perfect truth and perfect love for us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And there, as we're thinking through these questions, as we're thinking through who am I? Do I take this task seriously? Am I characterized by truth and love? I want you to just there in your seat, just kind of respond personally by first thanking God that he does love you. And that even as we're answering these questions, if we say, no, I am not a person characterized by truth and love, and here are five ways that I can think of that happened today where I am not. We thank God that he loves us, that he sent Christ to forgive us, and we ask him to forgive us for those things. Next, pray and just ask God to help you follow Jesus faithfully, that we would take this task, this mission of following Christ seriously. That as we're communicating something to everybody that we're around about the nature of God, if we're in Christ, that we're communicating that, that he would empower us through his spirit as we're following Jesus to communicate that accurately. God, this morning, I pray that we would be a family that is characterized by grace. Grace that knows getting what we don't deserve. Grace that knows the goodness of God through the person of Jesus and that it has marked us so deeply that we're living it out in every possible way to those that we're around. God, we pray this morning together that you would turn our hearts toward belief in this good news of Jesus this truth that he's walking before us and that you would through the power of your spirit enable us to follow behind him and mimic his every move and convey the perfect truth and the perfect love of Jesus to those who are around us. God, forgive us for where we've fallen short, but give us strength to move forward, to be a people marked by truth, marked by selfishness because we are marked by Jesus. And we pray these things in his name, amen.